All right, if you would, open up with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible or you don't have a Bible, there should be a a hardback black one somewhere near you. Uh, We would invite you to open that up uh, and and look with us at Matthew chapter 7. If you don't know where Matthew is, you can find that in the index in the front of your scriptures. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would encourage you to take this Bible home with you. Consider it a gift from our church, but make it yours as you study God's Word. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. So today we are going to talk about what I would argue is the favorite Bible verse of people outside of the church. And in fact... um, it's, it's used so often and it's become such a part of the English vernacular that we actually, most of the time, when it's quoted, it's quoted from the King James. Okay, you ready? This is what I would argue is the favorite verse of people outside of the church. And for some people in the church, too. Judge not, lest ye be judged. All right, and I love to hear from people when they quote that scripture and they use the word ye, and I just think, how often do you use the word ye in your day, right? Um, probably not very often. Uh, but but when, we, when we want to pull this verse out, that, that's, that's where we go to, right? So we're going to look at where Jesus tells us, I would argue, not necessarily not to judge, but to judge rightly, like he told us in John. And, and to, to do this, I, I think we need to, to lay down two distinct ways of judging. Of course, I think you could argue there are, there are more than just two ways to judge. Um, you think of a judge and a jury in a U.S. courtroom. That's, that is a way of judgment, right? You can think of, I mean, one that is very relevant to me right now, uh, trying to judge between two kids that say, she did that. No, she did that. And then, the, and then in comes, no, 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 but he did this also, right? And so trying to judge between those two things. I, I want to talk about judgment within the church, but also with those outside of the church. And, and, and I want to offer to you a good way of judgment and a bad way of judgment. And it's the bad way of judgment that Jesus is talking about. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you, you may want to jot this down. Uh, but, but the first type of judgment that we're going to think about today is what I would call discernment. And discernment is where we ask these questions. Can this honor God? Can this help believers? Can this point unbelievers to Jesus? This is what we would call discernment. This is what the Bible calls discernment. And sometimes this is what the Bible calls judgment or judging. I would argue that discernment is a good thing. You are called to be a discerning Christian. That's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 7 to judge with right judgment. He's telling us to judge with discernment. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians tells the church in Corinth that they are to judge those inside the church. But when he says that, he doesn't mean the second type of judgment we'll talk about in a second. He means judge each other with discernment. As you're looking at your brothers and sisters in Christ, and friends, that's the key term. We are not, this is not, the church is in no way, shape, or form 
some type of competition. You are not here to look better before God. And if you are, you're here mistakenly. The church is not a competition. The church is not a school. The two terms that the Bible uses for the church are family of God and body of Christ. Friends, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so when we judge one another, like Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians, we don't do it to be cruel. We don't do it to win. We do it to say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Let us discern what honors God and what is best for us. All right? The second type of judgment is what I will call criticism. Criticism comes from a place of saying, I would not do that. It also asks questions like, what kind of person is this? Or what kind of Christian is this? Criticism is meant to play off of the sins of others to make ourselves either look better or feel better. I'm going to argue that what Jesus is telling us not to do today is not to judge with a critical spirit. So I want to give you two illustrations very quickly before we jump into the text. And these are, if I'm talking about you right now, I've been in California for all week, right? So I don't, I don't know what's going on in Hatch. I've missed out. So this is, I, I didn't sneak onto your Facebook account and say, okay, I'm going to use them as an illustration today. I'm not talking to anybody. I just pulled these out, okay? Fair? We together? All right, good deal. So the first one. If you see a fellow believer at a get-together with a lot of people that you know probably think unsavory things and do unsavory things, you can judge with a critical spirit and say, why are they there? Why are they hanging out with those people? Or you could choose with a discerning spirit and say, are they seeking to honor God with what they're doing? Are they seeking to help unbelievers see Jesus. You see the difference? A second one, and this one will be a little bit tougher, but I think it's important. Someone in this church is caught in an affair. A critical spirit is going to, I mean, this is what the critical spirit is going to do. First, I would never do such a thing, which is, Paul tells us, in Galatians, that's the worst place to be, right? He says that you need to watch yourself lest you fall, right? But then, and this, this is the worst part, right? Instead of going to them and seeking to, to help them and, and uh, to, to help bring them to repentance and, and, and restore their marriage, what the critical person is going to do is say, they're going to go out in the community and say, oh my goodness, you know who you need to be praying for? You need to be praying for so-and-so because they're having an affair, right? It's uh, gossip by prayer request. Uh, that, that's what a critical spirit is going to do. But a discerning believer is going to follow Matthew 18. They're going to go to that person and say, do you realize what you're doing to yourself, to your family, to the person you're sleeping with, with their family? Do you realize the implications this is going to have on 
you and those you hold dear and on, on the church that you claim to belong to and, and the God that you claim to believe in. Repent, friend. Turn from this. Seek counseling and seek healing. That's what a discerning person would do in that situation. And so Jesus is not telling us, as we're about to jump into the text, not to be discerning. Everybody makes judgments. It's impossible to be a human adult and not make judgments. If you're going to have your child or your grandchild babysat for or babysat by someone, you're going to make judgments on who you leave your children with, right? If not, let me know, and I will take your children and protect them, okay? Um, we, we make judgments. And so Jesus is calling us to be discerning, and, and I'm going to argue, too, he's calling us to be gracious rather than critical. So let's jump into the text. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus is continuing his sermon uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is what we were doing before Easter, and it's, we're, we're going to, to hopefully finish this chapter in the next few weeks. But he says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, one of the interesting things, one of the, the first things that we really need to note here and this is, again, where the English language fails us. This judge not that you be not judged, this is actually, these are plural verbs. So if we were using the southern U.S. translation, it would go something like this. Y'all should not judge so that y'all will, will not be judged, Okay? Um, Jesus is not speaking to us as individuals here. He's speaking to us as a community. He's saying to the church, do not judge with a critical spirit. For it is with that judgment that you will be judged. What Jesus is telling us is that if we judge with discernment, right? If our first questions in judgment are, does this honor God? Does this encourage believers? Does this point unbelievers to Jesus? If we judge like that, then that is how God will judge us. With discernment. With what was their heart in the matter. And of course, if we're going to judge with discernment, I think, and I don't think that this is too much of a... Of a um, of a leap here, but I'm going to argue that judging with discernment is judging with grace, of giving people what they don't deserve. Think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? Many of you probably had that read at your wedding. There's a, there's a line in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, love believes all things. Now, friends, that doesn't mean that you're, that you're gullible, right? Paul's not saying when someone tells you two plus two equals brown, you pat them on the back and say, you got it, kiddo. Right? That's not what love believes all things means. When Paul says love believes all things, he's saying you give the people you love the benefit of the doubt. Until there is enough evidence that you can say it's not true, 
you're going to trust the word of the people that you love. And so what Jesus is calling to us with this discerning judgment, with this judgment without a critical spirit, is that we are to give grace to the people that are around us. We are to give them the benefit of the doubt. We are to to give them honor and trust. We're to treat them, not to overquote Jesus, but I don't think that's a bad thing. We are to treat them how we want to be treated. The question is, how do you want to be judged? Do you want someone judging you with a critical spirit? Or do you want someone judging you with grace and discernment? Because listen, I, I think the church, the church goes off in two ways, right? Sometimes we're, we are way too critical. Um, we become these Pharisees that sort of build uh, some sort of cocoon in our church to keep all the bad out. And we cease being missionaries like Jesus has called us to be. But at other times, we don't want to be critical at all, right? We don't want to be discerning. And in fact, we don't want people to judge us with discernment. I'm guilty of this. But the Lord is reminding me over and over and over again that, one, I am not perfect. I'm surprised Megan didn't amen that one. Um, I am not perfect. I'm still growing in my knowledge of the Lord. He is still leading me through his word. And he is using the people around me to help me see my blind spots. And he's using the people around me to help me see where I don't have it all figured out. And so as I'm called to judge discerningly, I'm expecting the same thing from you. And if you see a sin in my life or you see a teaching that you're like, ah, Andy, I don't, are we sure we get that from scripture? I, I, my initial reaction may not welcome it, okay? Because again, I'm not perfect. But I want to be humble enough. And I want us as a church to be humble enough to say, yes, if the judgment is done with grace and discernment, I welcome it. It might be hard, but I welcome it. And so this is, this is what Jesus is moving us toward as he tells us that with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And friends, just to remind us again, because we need to hear it again and again, grace getters are grace givers, right? From that story that we heard uh, before the children to what Jesus is teaching us here, if you've received grace from Jesus, you are going to be quick to give it. And this is, I, I think, um, our grace giving is a, it is a muscle that we need to continually work out, okay? So if you don't give grace often, that muscle will atrophy. But if you keep extending grace, giving people what they don't deserve, then you will see not only that you love grace, but, but that, that it's easier to do it. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
I don't think that we have to explain this, but just in case we do, um, when Jesus says a speck, he, he means a, a, a minuscule piece of wood. And when he says log, he means what you're thinking of with a log. That, you know, I mean, it could go anywhere from your firewood that you chop up to a, to a tree that has fallen. And so Jesus wants us, and, and listen, he's giving us an illustration. You know why he's giving us an illustration? Or how we know he's giving us an illustration? Because there ain't one person in this room that doesn't have a log in their eye. And if you brush back against that and say, I don't have a log in my eye, there's your log. You're struggling with pride. Repent of it and work on it, okay? So all of us have logs in our eye. But Jesus doesn't say, I mean, notice this. He doesn't say that it's wrong to want to help our brother and sister with logs in their eyes. He's telling us that we first must deal with ourself. We must have self-awareness. We must not think that if we can see clearly the speck in their eye, there must be nothing in our eyes. Self-awareness, it's important in life, but it's important to follow Jesus. Because if you lack self-awareness, you will not see your need for Jesus And ultimately what Jesus is trying to help us see here is that it is good to want to help, but not with a spirit of criticism. So we need to talk about that word hypocrite for a second, right? We use that word quickly, right? Like it is, it is another one of the biblical concepts that Americans love to pass around. In fact, most people will say the reason they don't go to church is because it's full of hypocrites. And you need to remind them, we have room for one more. You are welcome, okay? Um, we say that with love, not with judgment, right? We, we say that not with criticism, but with discernment. Um, so the word hypocrite is actually the Greek word for an actor. Because you see, an actor would, would show up on stage and he would put a mask on. And he would play the part of whoever was on the mask. In fact, the Greeks were, were much like the Romans after them and, and many in Europe following them. Uh, they would not have women in the plays, and so men would play both parts. Um, you know, Shakespeare was like that. In fact, Shakespeare liked to use teenage boys to play the women parts because they sounded more feminine because they were still going through... Pu- uh, anyways, we're, we're going way off trail. But anyways, you would put this mask on and you would play whoever was on the mask. All right? And so this idea of a hypocrite is to be someone who is two-faced, who has a mask on in one place and then is the, the, their true selves somewhere else. And so Jesus calls us not to be a hypocrite when we're dealing with discernment among other people. And so he's telling us that when we judge with a critical spirit, that's what pushes us into hypocrisy. Because when you judge with a critical spirit, you're saying you can judge with the same precision and righteousness that God judges with. And I have bad news if you think that's true. You can't. You're not God. You are broken and sinful, just like the people you're making judgments about. And so when you're looking at their speck with your log in your eye and you think that you can step into the place of God and judge like he does, you are being a hypocrite. You are putting a mask on and trying to do something that you're not capable of doing. 
And so Jesus calls us not to give up on discernment, but to take the log out of our eye first. Now this, the verb for take here is singular. So while he calls the church not to judge, here he's talking to you as an individual. And he's saying, deal with the log in your own eye. Deal with your sins. Repent of them. Fight against them. Confess them to fellow believers. You want to not be able to judge people with criticism? Confess your sins to them. Right? If we were in the habit of confessing our sins to one another, we would in no way, shape, or form want to criticize each other. You know why? Because they know my stuff and I know their stuff. I'm going to want grace because they know my stuff. So I'm going to want to give grace when they tell me what's going on in their life. By all means, help your brothers and sisters fight sin. But do it with grace and discernment, not with criticism. Verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, let's be honest, this seems a bit cryptic, right? We're talking about judgment and planks and specks, and now we're jumping to dogs and pigs. What? What in the world's there? A couple of things to note. First one is this. The do not give is plural. So we went church, individual, back to church. Okay, back, back to the large group. Now a dog, well, let's just say that during Jesus' time, the Greeks, Romans, and Jews did not have pet smart with organic dog food. Okay? Um, dog, most dogs were not pets. There were some dogs that were pets, but most dogs were wild pack dogs, kind of like the group of chihuahuas that like to roam through hatch and, and attack me when I'm on my bike. Um, but uh, that, that was a critical spirit. I repent of that. I'm sorry. Um, but anyways, um, so, so most, most dogs were, were wild. They, they would live around the cities. Um, but a dog was a common put-down, both for Jews, Greeks, and Romans. Um, in fact, it was more common, and this is why we know that organic dog food would not fly for these people. Um, it was more common to name your family dog after an enemy than someone you admired, right? Because it was to say, hey, you're a dog like, you know, so-and-so. Um, and so uh, to call someone a dog was not... It was not an encouragement like it was in the 1990s in the United States, okay? Um, and, and, of course, to call someone a pig, uh, a pig for a Jewish person is an unclean animal. Uh, you cannot touch it. You cannot eat it. And so if we think about the context, right, of Jesus telling us not to judge with a critical spirit and, and to, to deal with our own sins and the own logs in our eyes before we worry about others— he, it helps us understand this verse a little bit better if we, think it like, if we think about it like this. You have the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, which is as valuable to us as a pearl and, and, and as, as, as wonderful um, as the things of, of holiness. And the gospel is to go out to all 
Everyone is supposed to hear it. Everyone needs a chance to turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is telling us is there are some people who are going to be so adamantly against the gospel. And they are going to be so adamantly against Christians that you present them with the gospel. And if they fight back, your response is to, with discernment, judge whether to share with them again or not. Whether to know if they will tear up the gospel and those that bear the gospel. Whether or not they will trample down the gospel and those who believe in the gospel. Or whether they will believe. And listen, friends, this is, this is a hard verse. It's hard to, to grapple with. It's hard to understand in this context. But, but let, me, let me give you this encouragement, Okay? Because I am someone who wants to see everyone come to know Jesus because I know my own sins and I know I deserve hell. So I would love it if the leaders of Boko Haram and ISIS became Christians because I think they would have a story like the Apostle Paul. And, and I would love it if our not-so-much friend in North Korea would come to believe in Jesus and instead of persecuting and killing Christians, he would actually build up a church there that would, that would honor the Lord. But Jesus is clear. If we give the gospel to someone and they attack over it, don't don't keep casting the pearls and don't keep giving them what is holy. And so I hear that and I'm like, but God, how will they know? How will they believe? And then I remember that there was a Pharisee named Saul who heard the gospel preached before Stephen was stoned to death. He held the coats of the men who threw the stones and he heard the gospel And then the church scattered. And Saul went to Damascus to try to arrest Christians and put them in prison. And you know what happened? Jesus met him on the road and saved him. So even though Jesus is saying here, be discerning in where the gospel goes. And don't keep giving the gospel to people who will seek to kill you and destroy the gospel. That doesn't mean they are totally apart from God's saving hand. God can save whomever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants. And so you don't have to get onto an airplane and fly into Aleppo and then drive into ISIS territory and preach the gospel to those men. I think some people are called to do things like that, but you don't have to do that because if God wants to save them, he will. Our job is to get the gospel to those that are around us. And to make sure that we fund people to get the gospel to other places. But we are to be discerning in how we do it. This is how we know that Jesus is not telling us to not judge at all. And this will actually be clearer the further we get in Matthew chapter 7. But I want us to stop here because I think that there's... There are a few things we need to, to, to tie up the, the bow with, okay? So what's the big idea? What, what are we... What is Jesus trying to get us to with these six verses? I would argue that it is this. We are saved by grace. Judge with discernment and grace. We are saved by grace. Judge with discernment and grace. You are saved in a way that you do not deserve. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. 
Faith is something that you and I do not deserve. We deserve nothing but death and hell. But God in his love, his everlasting, unending, deeper than we can ever imagine love. And so if God saved us with that grace through his love, then we can judge by being discerning and by being gracious. So how do we apply this? Individually, I think it's this. I'm going to give you a... I don't know if we call this like an algebraic law or, or just an equation, um, but I think this is a good way to remember it. Judgment minus criticism plus grace equals discernment. Judgment minus criticism plus grace equals discernment. Friends, you, you have to judge. You have to make judgments in your life. So you do it without criticism, you do it with grace, and you will be a discerning judge. I think the way you do this is to remind yourself that you are the chief of sinners, just like Paul told us he was in 1 Timothy. Remind yourself that God is gracious and remind yourself that his glory is the first aim of those that believe. So his glory should be our first aim when we make judgments, but his glory should also be the first aim of those who we are making judgments about. The second thing for our family I think we need to create a culture of discernment. Create a culture of discernment. Uh, We need to pray for our kids and grandkids that they will have discernment. Uh, We need to teach our kids and grandkids about discernment. I think one of the ways that we do this is we have conversations about the things that they are consuming. Perfect illustration of this happened yesterday afternoon in my backyard I was talking with Reese. She's really into Percy Jackson, uh, which, is, which are these, these books about um, Greek gods and goddesses and this boy in New York City who comes to realize that he's half Greek god and, and half human. So he's a demigod, right? And so she and I were talking about it, and, and she, she reminded me. She said, but Dad, I know it's not true because Mom and I have talked about it, and, and it's just for fun. I, I know that there's only one God, and... He sent his son to die on the cross for me. And I thought, how awesome is my wife, right? I try not to make myself the hero of my illustrations, but I'm okay with making her it, okay? Um, uh, A pattern of discernment is being set in in our our family, and and it's important. We want our kids, because look, I don't want my 22-year-old daughter calling me and saying, hey, dad, should I read this book or should I watch this movie or should I, you know, I want to train her up in discernment to the point where when she's 25, she can follow Jesus on her own, right? With the local church, not apart from it, right? But, but that she, she can be discerning for herself. And so we need to create a culture of discernment. Final, final application for us as a church, we need to work together for grace and truth. We need to work together for grace and truth. We want to give grace, but we also want to stand on the truth. So I want to finish with this story. The New York, the New York City Library um, has a person who owes over $20,000 in late fees. Uh, This person, in 1790, 1790, uh, 
took out two books, one on uh, international law and, and a second one on, um, it, was, it was a list of transcripts from the British Parliament in like over a 50-year period of time. Really interesting reading, right? Kind of like my, my book that I showed the kids. Um, anyways, so these books were due in November of 1790. Uh, they still have not been returned. Uh, the man that took these two books from the library, you might know him. His name was George Washington. And he was the president of the United States at the time. And of course, if you remember, before uh, the president actually lived in New York City for a while before, before they moved uh, to Washington, D.C. They felt that it was important to, to keep the branches of government separate. So the president was in New York, uh, Congress was in Philadelphia, and then eventually they all came together in Washington, D.C. But anyways, um, so there's this, there's this article about this recently uh, where the, the director of the New York City Library said, listen, uh, we're, we're not going to hold the fees over him. You know, we're not going to hold his family responsible for the 20-some thousand dollars that are owed. Uh, we're going to show grace and 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 just forgive those, uh, but we would like the two books back. Like if someone knows where they are, uh, those would be great additions to our library. So we would like to have those back. I, I think that's how we show grace and truth, right? Uh, we, we, we stand on the things that are important and we say, look, we can't go beyond this. We love the Lord and each other too much to, to go towards things that are false or that are sinful, but we're going to be gracious, we are going to give you what you don't deserve because we need it ourselves, right? We are, we, are a, we are the family of God, broken and beautiful, following Jesus together, standing on truth, but reaching out with, with pockets full of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for this time to worship together and study your word. God, I, I pray that, that this was encouraging. I, I pray that it was informing. Uh, but Father, mostly I pray that it, would, it would really would change how we deal with each other and with people. Father, I pray that we would be discerning and gracious. I pray that our, our judgments would be right, uh, that we wouldn't make judgments based on what's going on on the outside, but that we would, we would seek to see if, if people are aiming to glorify you, uh, to encourage believers, and to point unbelievers to Jesus. Father, we are thankful for the cross and resurrection. We're thankful for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're, we are thankful to be able to gather together as the church, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, friends,